G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting. Um, what is Purdy? Purdy? Oh, God, mate. Should yeah. I know this? Yeah, you should. Is it your uni degree? <laughs> you should, or? You know, no, you should know what Purdy is. Why? Purdy is like one of the great gun makers of the world particularly English. Oh, I'll, English. I'll edit that out as well. <laughs> Purdy and Holland and Holland, you know. Oh, yeah, know. Probably the the two. The two greats. And then there's Boss. Um, but I think probably the two greats would be Purdy and Holland and Holland. So, yeah. And right. what those are is they're actually shotgun cleaning cloths. So they're the cloths that you put down on your bench when you're going to clean your Purdy. And I've got... Uh, relatives who live relatively close to Purdy. They say they live, they actually live just near um, uh, Lords and they went in and bought me a couple of those things and they sent them over to me every once every couple of years. So they're, they're a cleaning cloth that's been framed. Right. Okay. Yeah. The, the one thing that you could um, afford to get out yeah, of the well, shop. Yeah, well, I've got a H&H uh... H &H cap and uh and i got a cleaning cloth and i actually on my on my 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 3006 i have a holland holland sling which is an expensive sling but that's about as close as i get all right well i'll, I'll confess as to uh, not knowing what that was mm. <laughs> it's the way way of the world when you you're uh, i guess not I, I think i said on one of the other podcasts i wasn't a gun enthusiast mm. as a tool so i don't know some of that history but uh, anyway, we'll, we'll call that an intro and, and welcome to uh, the fourth uh, episode of uh, The Hunter's Campfire. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, well, it's not live because by the time you hear it, it'll be recorded, but coming to you live from another cold Toowoomba winter evening. Um, where are you held up, Mark, today? Uh, well, it was no, we're in Brisbane and it's not that cold tonight. We've had a bit of, we had a bit of rain last night and it's kept the, the, um, the temperatures pop back up, but we have been... I think for the well for the most of the month we've been below average, which is a good sign. It's actually um, we're at, we're actually having a, a proper winter. Um, I was up on a a block in outside of Kilcoy two Fridays ago, and as I was pulling in, it was um, two degrees, and the little mm -hmm. car had a little symbol which I had a look at, which was ice. I don't think yeah. I've ever actually seen that symbol oh, on, no. on my it, car. It's a common symbol. When I, when I first picked up my new car. Um, a couple of years ago now, I was uh, I picked it up and drove to Victoria to go hunting, and that was its first trip, I think, um, and the signal came up, and we were driving up through the night. Well, you know, we left, left Toowoomba and went to Victoria non-stop 14 hours to get to where we were going, just did a couple of driver changes, and the, that same symbol came up. It was an ice symbol with a couple of crosses through it or a tyre or something, yeah. and I looked at that eye as my car stuffed. What is this engine warning light coming up on my dashboard? That's exactly that right. Anyway, out come the manual, and we sorted that out pretty quickly, and, and off we went. But that's the way it goes. I've figured out mine kicks in at four degrees. 
Yeah, right. I was watching yeah. it because it, it came on, and then it, it, once it got you know got up to five, it disappeared. So it, it must kick on at four degrees. But it was a it was two degrees when I pulled up at the block. Mm. So, Excellent. Yeah. Well, hopefully this rain disappears. We're supposed to have four days of it leading up to the weekend. This weekend, just coincidentally, is our Australian Deer Association local branch AGM. So um, we've got thirty or forty people coming with their own camp oven mixtures to stack around a fire and have a bit of a, a camp oven cook off. So that'd be good for the fellas and wives and families to get together and have a bit of a chat about that and uh, issue some awards for the year and, and whatnot. So that should be a, a fun weekend if the rain goes away as forecasted. Otherwise, it will be dead set miserable. Mm. But uh, hey, we've all dealt with that. So that actually sounds, I, I didn't know that because I'm a diff, different branch, obviously. Um, I wish I knew because I've, I, I've just well, last last weekend I prepped some venison, and boy, I got it right this time. Oh, oh wow. did you? it's it's almost gone. The kids are just chewing through it. Oh yeah, so, well, meat, my meatballs. wife doesn't eat it. My meatballs. son sometimes does. Meatballs, burgers, that kind of stuff, and and obviously oh. the steaks. But yeah, so and hopefully next weekend we'll get away on a family trip that we a family hunting trip that my son and I go on each year and that's we go for if down for fallow and we usually try and bring back a a fair bit of meat from that and um i'm going to have a go at sausages i've never done it so traditionally with the with the intestine oh no none of that crazy stuff no no okay maybe that's got this machine that has this tube that you just hopefully it just pours out and i wrap them up and away (laughs) we go yeah, um, I, I'm I'm far on the um in the the hunter gatherer, you know, I'm I'm way on the hunter side of the of the scale here. I'm not real crash hot on the food prep. I'm getting better, but I'm not real crash hot on the food prep side of things. Yeah, oh, you'll enjoy making sausages. You can do all yeah. sorts of things. So experiment. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's down in New South Wales somewhere, but uh, New South Wales we're talking about tonight. Um, the Pilliga. Mm-hmm. Uh, to follow on on our deep dive into some of these parks, we're going to lean on you quite heavily tonight, Mark, because I've been there once, and sounds like you're it's your second home, nearly. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a massive park, isn't it? You have a look at if you, yeah. if you rate the park by numbers that can hunt it on the New South Wales app. It's in the I think 300 people can hunt it at any one time, whereas the park that we spoke about, uh, which was Severn last time, fluctuates between two and four people depending so to give you an idea of scale this place is enormous what what makes up the pilliga so it's an interesting term in itself um it's certainly not just associated with the state forest the pilliga is 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 an area that's really and if you looked on a map for new south wales it's really a a a stretch of scrub that goes from narrabai down to coonabarabran which is uh, i think about 100 kilometers and then to the uh, to the east, it goes to uh, the next road right across, which is about 30 or 40 kilometres to the east. And to the west, it, it, it stretches in a similar fashion out to the west. So it's, uh, it's famously called uh, what they call the Million Wild Acres. Um, and that was a, a term by a, a guy by the name of Eric Rolls who wrote a book about it. Um, in so much as what you hunt, you tend to hunt uh, the way that the hunting from a state forest point of view is is broken up, is you actually hunt right in the middle. So the state forest kind of sits in the middle 
of that whole area. And then around it is various uh, national parks, um, conservation zones and private property. So you tend to be right smack bang in the middle. And so what that actually means is that when you're hunting it, you're a long way from anything or you can be. You can be a long way from anything, um, which gives it its real appeal, especially to me, because it's uh, I like to think of it as, you know, it's the average Joe safari. You know, you can you can go to the yeah, NT, absolutely. you can go to Africa, but you can go to the Pilliga and you kind of get the same kind of effect. You know, you can you can be 35, 40 kilometers away from the road. You can do that if you want. You can walk for days. Uh, you you could walk till Literally. you could walk till you run out of you know you could walk till you got in a bit of trouble if you if you were unlucky. Um, uh, it's 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 that large. And the other interesting thing about it too is when you um when you book it for a hunt, you actually got to realise you know uh, how big a chunk of land they give you. It's massive. Um, uh, the block itself so. There's a number of forests there. The, the two main forests is Pilliga East and Pilliga West. There's a couple of smaller forests around. Um, and so you can book P Pilliga East, which is on both sides of the Newell Highway. And, the, and yeah. the small part of the east, which is on the on the far eastern side of the Newell, it gets a bit confusing, that's the small side, and that itself is massive. Yeah. Um, I haven't looked at that side. I turned right, turned right off the highway heading south out of Narrabri onto Pilliga Forest Way, heading to the main campsite feature, which is the well. What's it, what's yep. it called, Mark? Swages Something well. Yeah. Oh, the bore, yep. Swages so down bore. to the bore. And and I think I travelled at a reasonable speed. It's a reasonable access road into there. And I think I must have gone 40 minutes in the car before yeah. I got to that spot, just yep. to give you an idea again of distance, I wouldn't have been doing 100 kilometres an hour. It's probably closer to 60 or something like that, as an average. I'm thinking it's it's been been quite some time, but it's a reasonable track, yeah. um, forestry road. So you know, I had to have gone 30 something kilometres. Uh, so generally, to get to the Bors Wages Bore, which is one of the big camping areas. I mean, it's not a big campground, but it's one of the areas a lot of people go to. From Narrabri to the Wages Bore is about an hour and a car. So you yeah, know, if if you want if you if you're feeling like you need ex, you need some milk, it's a two hour journey to get that milk, and a lot of that's on dirt too. So um, so it and that's and Swages Bore is by no means the end of it. It's basically kind of in the middle. You've got a fair distance either way from the bore, and if because you can with an R license book two forests, if you book Pilliga West, which is relatively small in regards to Pilliga East in that it's about a 20 by 20 square kilometre block. I mean, it's not small again, but it's a smaller block. You've got a significant chunk of exploring to do. Um, so where is, uh, and I, I don't want to disreg uh, uh, make anyone think that they shouldn't have a go at it or something like that, but what you have to remember is that when we spoke about um, Severn, we spoke about something that you could comfortably hunt in a weekend. Um, Pilliger is a couple of levels up in terms of your commitment in that if you think uh, you might be very lucky in driving there on the first day and see something, but you might not. And, and it might take you four, four days to actually find the game in there. So you, can, you could spend a lot of time pursuing game and not really find any um, because it's sheer size. So it's something you've got to give consideration to. 
The other thing you've got to give consideration to is your um, your ability to kind of you know be in camp and have an enjoyable time in camp without having to rely on amenities. Because if you're relying on amenities, then you'll probably spend far more time driving to and from the amenities than you will actually doing any hunting. Right, so self-sufficient for the four yeah. or five days that you're going to be there. Yeah. And that case, I mean, uh, we, we like those sorts of things as a, as a club and as a branch. Um, you know, like I said before, we drag a camper and it's got a few hundred litres of water and, and kitchen facilities and the ability to charge and, and do things, um, you know, run your fridges and those sorts of things. So it's, 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 it's actually really good to take those sorts of things in there and stay right away and immerse yourself in the bush and just become part of it um, because every time you go back out you sort of lose some of those senses and those sounds um, so i find just yeah that, that immersive experience is really good the the longest i've stayed in the forest i think is six days in total um uh, and it's 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 very doable it's not hard what we did though is that um uh in terms of just things like phone signal and, and being in touch with the family we would when we would hunt we would kind of over a period of time move towards where we could get signal so there might be a day we go we're going to hunt over this way or we'll cross the highway and go hunt the other side and then we can get signal so but again you, you know you want to be self-sufficient um and not because of any you know danger but to actually enjoy it because if you're if you are staying or staying close to you know town you will be just doing a lot of driving back and forth. You know, you'll be yeah. on that highway and on that on that main dirt road more than you'll be actually in the pursuit of game. And, I, and I, to me, that you know, that's that's defeating the purpose. The so I suppose the way that we might start is the way I hunt the pillager is that I easily hunt it um, with uh, with a group of guys. There's uh, and usually a, a four, three other guys, so we go down as. There's a four of us. We go down regularly. Um, we hunt about every 18 months. We do, do a trip to the Pilliga and have been doing it since uh, 210. Oh, no, actually 29, well, 29, 210. It was a Christmas, New Year. And what we do is um, we go in convoy and it's actually three cars. And that sounds a bit strange, but so but the reason we do that is one guy actually sleeps in his car so his car set up for for sleeping so that is his his um his uh his accommodation while he's in the forest but what it does it means that we've always got a a, a vehicle in camp because we hunt in pairs so what we'll do is we'll get there we'll set up we'll find a place that we we want to stay in there's a Swage's board. There's also, and the name escapes me, but there's a mill down towards the southern end mm. of the. Um, we've stayed there once. Um, I kid you not. I heard the pigs in the creek fighting during the night, but I couldn't in find the them in the morning. <laughs> they were in the dry creek. I could hear them. Uh, we couldn't find them. That was quite a nice place to stay. Open ground, uh, soft sand. There's a an old picnic table there. There's actually still the the frame of the windmill. It's a nice place to camp. There's I've a seen, yeah, I found that when I was there. Yeah, yep. there's a couple of other places to camp. None of them have any immunity. So uh, other than maybe there's an old concrete slab and a picnic table. Um, yep. They even took the bins out some years ago. So there's no real amenities. It's just a nice bit of space. Um, so we go down, as I said, we usually go down uh, with three, three vehicles. And across those vehicles, we share the, 
the load in terms of the camp. So we build ourselves a pretty comfortable camp. Um, one guy, one of my friends has a, 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 a trailer. It's not a camper trailer, but it, he's, it's set up for camping. So it carries a lot of gear. He's got the big esky in there and a fridge and a number of other things. Set up a big communal tarp. We set up our tents. As I said, one guy sleeps in the car, his car. So we have a very comfortable camp in terms of things like fuel and water. We take in plenty of fuel and plenty of water, um, usually about 200 litres of each. So we'll, we'll share uh, the fuel load. So, you know, we'll take in, you know, between 40 and 60 uh, litres each, um, something like that. And, of course, obviously what we fill up at Narrabri too before we go in. So we, we're running in with fuel, fuel uh, uh, full tanks. Um, the water, again, we'll take some as much water as we can. One of the guys' cars got the water reservoir in, you know, built in as a... Um, and we also obviously take jerry cans and things like that. So we want to have plenty of fuel and plenty of water, and the water is broken up between drinking water and working water, as I call it. You know, washing up water. Sure. Yeah. So that's really the, the those amenities for the, for the vehicles and for us. And then of course food. Uh, we we share eskies. Um, most of us have got some type of car fridge system, so we we make sure we've got enough. Uh, cold storage as well as for, for game meat, which is a big part of it, but also for food. So we've got a pretty comfortable camp. So, um, and the reason for that is one, no, we want to enjoy this. And two, as again, you don't want to have to be going, oh, look, I've, I've lost me 10 pegs, they're going to shoot in town. You just don't, just don't want to be doing that. You really no. don't want to be doing that. You're just wasting so much precious time doing that kind of thing. So over catering, my advice is if you're going to go in, over cater you know it's better to have yeah, a little bit more do that on these sorts of trips anyway mark don't you think um i yeah, think just well, about all of these trips you you tend to over cater for uh for food and, and whatnot but water's the big one um you're not not wanting to go back out for water seems to, to be one of the big ones because that's an easy one to churn through especially if you can't see i mean the one thing i say about camper trailers is uh, a lot of camper trailers don't have a level you can't see how much water you've got. I know when two of us go away, I've typically got enough water for five days. That's washing, that's drinking, that's all of that sort of stuff. Um, but, I, but I can't keep an eye on it. So I'm always taking more jerry cans just in case, uh, which is important. But um, Swage's bore alludes to water. Is that going to trap some people? Um, look, uh, well, it's... I've never seen Swage's bore dry. Um, I have heard that it's gone dry, I, and I know that recently it's been in flood. I've never heard it dry, but then again, I've never drank from it either. Um, sure. Uh, I've used it. I've used water from the bore to uh, um, clean clothes. Um, I've done that after you know after three or four days. I thought, oh, I'll give these things a bit of a wash in the bore. I've done that, um, and I've used it. Uh, uh, yeah, mostly for cleaning. I don't think I've ever used it even for cleaning plates and things like that. So what I tend to do is I have a fairly clear delineation between drinking water and working water because I'd always, I can get away with, if I have to, using bore water to clean up with, but I'm not drinking bore water. So I make sure that I know exactly how much drinking water I have. And that's simply, you know, prioritising me over over dirty dishes type thing. Yeah, you, you answered that in a completely different way to what I expected. And, and the reason I say that is I think that when I drove in there, I stayed in Swage's bore. I'm sure of it. But I don't recall there being anything that made it look like a bore. 
So, so describe it to me. What what makes well, up the bore? What if there's water? Is it natural? Is it pumped from a wind? It's a very what, it's, what, a, it's an interesting term, and I've I've actually looked into it. So, and actually to get an understanding. So, the reason why they refer refer to bores in in Pilliga was that once upon a time, a lot of the work in the Pilliga, because it's a working forest, was done by bullocks. And so these are water points for bullocks, and often they had a windmill there to pump the water up, or there was a natural soak, and that was. And I believe Swage's bore is a natural soak point. Right. Now, so you don't see like a a metal object casing, yeah. casing or a pump or anything like that. What it is, it's it's actually not much of a spoon dam. It's a it's a small dam. So. Um, you could very well look at Swage's bore and not see the bore if you didn't know where the dam was. It's very close. It's just there. I didn't see it. But it's, it, it's, yeah, it's not something that sticks up. It's one of those dams that's a scrape, so it's actually basically at ground level then dips down um, rather than, oh, um, rather than uh, you know, being like a metal uh, bore. There is, there is a couple of windmills. Which again, and there's there's actually in I think it's in the northern block. There's a windmill with an old tank still along a creek line, and again I believe that was a water uh, catchment area for the bullocks. But that's why Swage's Bore is um, uh, named Swage's Bore. There is actually perm. Well, my understanding is permanent water there. I've I've never heard of it going dry. I've seen it low, but I'm not mm. seeing it dry. That's interesting. I'll look out for that next time I head there. And I, yeah. I, I have a renewed interest in wanting to go back there. Well, uh, uh, so I'm looking forward to it. The funny thing about the boar is the boar often has goats on it, but that's a no-shoot area. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, because it's a water source. You will, and actually one of the goat traps that I've found is very close to the boar, but it's a no-shoot area. It's, it's classed as an exclusion zone because of that little campsite area. So, right. okay. so, so yeah. I, I've, as I said, I've, I've used the bore, the water in the bore occasionally, but I tended to stay away from it. Um, other than it also attracts a great deal of bird life, so it's actually a great place to go look. Um, and then and look, uh, you will see goats on it occasionally too. Um, which is a little annoying, but you know, they're they're in that space, they're uh they're uh, safe, so you have to let them be. Well, that'll um, that'll explain why the goats do tend to be found around that centre location. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, something you said of... before, you, you might struggle to find the game. Um, we went there for our first trip. We stayed at that location. We all went off in different areas, or probably ten of us, five, uh, five groups of two, all in different areas. And you can imagine your first, you know, expedition away from where you were camped and everything is going to. You're not going to go too far. You you know you're going to sort of work in your area. Everyone found animals. Everyone found animals on that first day, and um, that must have been the reason. I, I don't recall finding that water source. Um, so, so that's that's interesting. Where the Pilliga Forest Way, which is the road that runs through the through the whole of the forest, um, and there's a gazetted road, and I believe the one that runs through. Um, Pilliga West is called the Western Way or something like that. Um, again, it's a gazetted road and, and people use it because, you know, it saves literally hundreds of kilometres um, from having to drive all the way around. If you So they are, they are roads. Um, you very rarely will ever see anyone. You might hear the odd car on them, but you very rarely see anyone on them. Um, but they are used. Um, actually, the last time we were there, the, the only person we saw 
was the greater operator who was who was you know basically tidying them up. Mm. Um, and we had a, you know we had a, a little chat to him on the radio. Um, however, at that the reason you probably saw a game there is is that is a point where the Forest Way makes that significant swing down to the south. Yep. And it's it, it's it's not exactly a T junction, but it's certainly a significant junction there at, at the Forest Way. You can you can keep going directly west, you can go north, or you can follow it around to the south and go down to the south. So it's a it's a big junction point and it's quite open there. And so whenever you know you're driving back to camp in the late afternoon and evening, you, when you see that junction, you know that you're pretty close. Yeah, sure. So that would be our camp. So, and I can't stress enough that, you know, over cater and you'll enjoy yourself. Um, in fact, what we generally do is on the last night, we have this massive, it's kind of a tradition. We have this massive fry up. We get everything that we haven't eaten and we, you know, we basically cook it up and there's this just, you know, Viking style, grab it, chew it type thing. Yeah. And if there's a bit of goat there, that might end up there as well, you know, so. So um, the game primarily in the Pilliga is goat. Um, there is good pig numbers in there, but the pigs are often pursued by locals, doggers. So the pigs are very, very wary. Um, in fact, I think uh, the best way to hunt pigs in the Pilliga is to leave your car somewhere and go out on foot. I actually think the sound of cars is one of the things they're most most wary of. And when I think about the times that I've done the best on pigs in Pilliga, I've been completely on foot, nowhere near the car. Um, so do you not find that that's the case for most state forests, though? Um, Pressure cars definitely come together. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm thinking the ones like Nundle, yes, um, because I, I, a lot of the, I mean, Nundle has, uh, I think, uh, you can dog it at night even in Nundle too. So yeah. there's going to be that, you know, there's going to be that association with cars. Um, Severn, not so sure um, because, you know, um, it's not really a place that you can do a lot of driving around on. Um, but certainly Pilliga does have, there is a strong, you know, uh, and I don't mean, I mean, by no means do I mean poaching or anything like. But there is a strong um, legal dogging community within within the, that Narrabri area, and they 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 actively hunt the pilliga. So yeah, you'll um, um, you'll you know, I think that has an effect on the way that the pigs mm -hmm. behave in that, behave in that area. Um, yep. So because of the the um the the general environment down there is dry the, the 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 smartest thing is to find water um uh but that's not always the case i've been there when it's been really wet and it's actually had the you know the well the the thing is when it's really wet animals don't need to go looking for water it's it's everywhere so they it certainly changes the behavior but generally the way to hunt the pilliga is to think about water um and especially through the summer months where it just becomes you know drier and it's hot too you know it's um over 40 degree days is quite common down there in, you know in, in through the peak of summer so it, it's very hot so water becomes the you know a, a critical um, resource for animals and they won't move too far away from it so if you find water don't necessarily sit on the water, explore around the water, and you're mm. very likely to bump animals. And there's actually, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later, there is a, there's a particular technique that we developed to hunt water in the Pilliga. 
But the way we go around hunting in the pilliga, because of its size, is that what we usually do, as I said, is we go down in groups. There's four of us, so we split up in pairs. And in the morning, we'll get the big map out. Now, one of the, uh, uh, you know, what do they call it? One of the one of the, uh, the, the tips that I would give you, if you're going to hunt the pilliga, go to the Tourist Bureau in Narrabri and get the tourist map of the pilliga. Right. It is by far the best map that you can get of that area. Um, I usually buy three or four of them and just keep a couple on. And I'm sure somewhere around here in my office there's one of them. It's a big fold-out tourist map of the pilliga. And it's got all the interesting things in there as well, like the salt caves and all this stuff. It's there. It's a tourist map for people to explore that area. So it's a great map. It's it's to be honest, it's far better than the paper maps that you'll get with your R license because it's so expansive. Um, and of course, it doesn't just focus on a state forest. It focuses on the whole region. So mm. grab yourself one of those tourist maps. They're a great way to navigate. The area so if you use that and then start to use that in concert with your hunting maps you get such a better idea of what what's around and, and the road layout and so on so get yourself one of those maps and um there as i said they're available at the tourist bureau there at narrabri which is directly across the road from bakery that does very nice meat pies so you know it's it's not a bad place to go so with that map in hand, what we usually do is we lay it on the table along with the our, our, our license maps, which obviously give us the exclusion zones. And we, we pair up and we don't have the same pairs every day. We, we rotate. So you get to hunt with everyone, which is great. And we say, OK, I'm going to we're going this way. You go that way. And the reason for that being is, you know, from a safety point of view, we know where each of us are going and there's no way we're going to kind of cross over each other's tracks. And we generally say, okay, uh, we'll meet here at lunch. So we'll we'll pick somewhere on on the map for lunch, and say we'll put we'll we'll meet here. And what our usual rule is, if you get there at lunchtime and you start you sit down and start having lunch, if the other people don't turn up while you're there, throw we throw a, a, a set of sticks down and make a sign on the side of the track, like cross sticks. Mm. Reason for that is. Um, when you when the the second pair arrive later and go okay the guys have been here they've moved on what we do is if you come late you pull it apart that way if you're back at camp at eight o'clock at night and the other guys haven't turned back at camp you drive to that point and the first thing you see okay they've been here they've pulled the sign apart or no they never got here they didn't pull the sign apart okay we know where they kind of were in the morning. Let's head that way and go looking for them. Because mm. re relying on um, uh, things like uh, CBs is great, but you know, directional in there and and distance you can cover. You don't get a great deal of coverage, so it's a way for us to have a pretty foolproof way to go. Okay, for some reason when they left camp and they're heading this way, they didn't make it there. So we've got a general idea of where they might be. It's a good idea. So it's just a simple way, and we do it when camp. So what we'll do is, if we say, if we say, look, we're going to spend the day, and we're going to go in a camp, um, or we're going to be in camp later, what we might do is like put a rock on the table, just so you know, yeah, the guys have been here, and they've left, they've come, they've gone, and they've left. Everything's okay, mm. um, and that's just just a, a great safety 
you know, system that we put in place that's very, very simple. It's pretty foolproof, doesn't rely on technology, and at least gives you an idea of, of, of where you are. And of course, if you think about it, if they're in trouble and you're kind of looking for them, you've got a geographic location to kind of work towards. So, you know, it gives you a, a better, um, a better, uh, just gives you a much more uh, focused if you're going to go look for them. And they might not be there in trouble, you know, they might, well, they might be in trouble, but not might be serious. And they might have hit two, two flats or something like that, you know, so they're just there with the vehicle, but they're waiting for, or they got bogged or something like that. So let me so, ask you a question on that then. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this in a way that trivialises uh, the pilliger, and because it sounds easy, and I know it, and I know it's not, but it's flat, it's scrubby and it's flat and it's um, it's almost in a grid form. Some of it, the way that the mm. the roads go, it's not like you're going into the snowy mountains where you know two people leave on foot and get stuck in a creek bed or fall down a cliff or anything like that. How much trouble can you get in in a flat piece of land? Well, I mean, you, you're right. You're not going to, you know, you probably won't die of exposure. And you could, if you're both healthy, eventually walk out to the highway. Mm. Um, but that might take you, you know, 12, 15 hours. Yeah, yeah sure. Meanwhile, you've got a whole party of people. <laughs> getting themselves lost looking and, and i meant it what i said i'm trivializing this i don't believe that it's that simple but uh i i'm interested because you, you you put a lot of emphasis on you know that communication piece and making sure people know where each other are and, and whatnot um it sounds um more dangerous than it looks uh, and it's probably the case are there traps here that we, that people need to be careful of or it's a, it's a good point and um Generally, the way that you hunt the pilliger is because its size, um, you you travel in the vehicle until you get to a point that's a likely point, and you go out and you explore from the vehicle. But very rarely do you explore maybe than a kilometre. Mm. You know, you don't simply go, you don't walk those great distances. And the reason for that is because, you know, um, uh, it's so big it's pretty if you did that you uh if you did that you would really only be hunting a very small chunk of the of the forest so generally what we do is like if we're driving so we'll go okay we're going to hunt the northern part of the forest today so we'll drive along or we'll look at the map and go look there's a dam here we want to explore that dam so we'll pull up 500 meters before that dam get out walk walk around that dam and only do a you know a kilometer or two radius around that that dam at the most before we come back to the vehicle so you're not going to be in a situation where if you get into trouble you're going to be too far away from the vehicle or generally not the way we approach anyway um mm. you won't be too far away from the vehicle uh, even if you do do walks you know um it, the easiest thing to do for instance on the last trip i did a lot of walking myself and what i would do is um the guy i was with he simply said, no, nah, I'm just not interested. And I said, okay, well, look, here's the creek line. Uh, you drop me off here. I'm going to follow this creek line and I'll meet you here where it crosses the road. And that might be a 5K walk along the creek line. might take me a few hours, but I said, I'll meet you here. So, uh, you know, we always have an idea where you were. And so if I got in trouble, they would, you know, if I didn't turn up, 
they would walk the creek line and they'd find me. Um, I did. That being said, on the last trip, I was pursuing game and I got a bit too focused on the game and went, oh, bugger. And because I could tell with, with my GPS where I was, but I had about a, a about an 800 uh, metre force march through some scrub to hit a track. Mm. That was not fun. Um, and it took me a fair while to get through, you know, basically scratch my way through that tr- scrub. But even then, I still had a GPS and I was now I was going. We're, what we do with with the way that we communicate is not so much um, that someone gets lost. We I don't think that is the problem. What the problem is vehicle problem, getting bogged, um, yeah. cheering a couple of tires, breaking something, and being stuck with the vehicle and then following the vehicle. And so, you could have driven fifteen kilometres from camp. You know that's right to, to that's break your vehicle. Is, and that, I can see that. The other one that comes to mind, um, you're talking about hunting the pilliger in summer. It's hot. Water's a problem. Dehydration, if you get that wrong, is, is going to be on you pretty quickly. Um, and, of course, snakes. Um, there's going to be a fair fair few wrigglers out that way, I imagine. So they're the ones that came to mind when I was thinking, OK, how much trouble can we get into here? Um, and, and just like everything, if you're blasé about it, you're going to end up unprepared and in trouble. So. And, and remember, you just the, the 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 distance that you're dealing with here exacerbates that. So you know, if you just you might say, oh, "I want to hunt the bottom block," it might take you an hour to drive there from camp. So you might be 30, 40 kilometers from camp before you start exploring. So you know, having a a a, a, a breakdown there is yeah. There's probably a highway, maybe you know. Uh, one way or another but if you're going to have to walk to that highway it's it's you're going to be walking <laughs> you might be able to it, it might be an easy walk as in you're going to be walking on a a pretty well-defined um road or, or forestry track but you're still going to be having to travel you know 20 plus kilometers on foot yeah. so having an idea where someone else so simply you can go down and, and and find them and go okay guys and give them a lift back to the vehicle is going to make their life a lot easier um and that's just simply because of the distance you're traveling i mean i once we were coming out um and i and we got a flat you know and not a problem fixed it and but we realized you know we're about 20 kilometers from the highway and about 40 kilometers from narrabri so if you did if you lost two tires here it would be okay you guys sit with the truck We've got like a three or four hour round trip to get to get the town to get both flats fixed. So it's just simply dealing with it's a way of dealing with that size. Um, it ex- certainly exacerbates the potential for you to be um, in, a, in a situation that might not be life threatening, but a situation you don't want to be in for a period of time. And that's yeah. why, you know, we always make sure there's lots of water in the trucks. Uh, we t- we take food in the in, we that's the idea is we're actually going to eat on the on the on the hunt the reason for that is one is you can, you can hunt longer but two you're actually much more sufficient with that vehicle that vis- that vehicle has a level of sufficiency with it you know and that's why it's great to have diesel in camp so you can make sure you know you, the vehicles are never low on fuel just makes it all the more enjoyable because you're removing the risk factors out of it yeah okay so let me ask you some different questions then um 
one of the things you said was that the walkout is, is likely to be reasonably easy, mm. just long. Um, is a pretty good description for the way I found the Pilliga, and that was that it was flat. Um, even the lookout tower somewhere in the middle of the Pilliga, um, they had to build a tower because there's no vantage point yeah. to, to, to get up high. Now, I've heard that there are some high points and some rocky points and some feature, but I didn't find any of that. I, I found grid, flat, scrubby sections. Um, the, the highest thing that I had to climb was the contour bank coming up out of the drainage as you drove through them on the road. So, you know, you, you can step over it. That's about how high it got. Um, we didn't find anything much more than that or, a, you know, sort of a creek system. Uh, but that's typical of the Pilliga. It is so big. I just hadn't found half the things that were in it. Um, we found the bore. We found, you know, the old windmill and we followed some tracks and we were pretty successful. So we didn't range too much further than that. But what else is there? What 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 um, features do you find in the Pilliga? One of the, the separate things is it, it, it's actually not flat. Um, it slopes downhill towards the south. And so the reason I know that is if you go down to the, the very bottom row where it, it butts up against the National Park, after a significant rain event, the amount of the energy and fury of the water that's run through that place is evident. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it slowly runs downhill. So it is, it is actually... Um, it does slope downhill. Now, there is also points that are higher than others. Um, there's one place we call the Highlands. Yeah. Um, or what, no, the, oh, we don't, the Highlands, sorry, is what we call Severn. What, what are the guys called? They call it Trophy Hill. You come out of the, the really soft sandy and you start to get into the, the gravelly mix and you start to get some elevation. There's also, um, and probably the highest point that I can think of um, is closer towards the Newell Highway. So there is a high point up there where it changes dramatically. It opens up a little bit more. Um, that's where one of those massive storms that went through there a few years ago and blew, knocked a number of the trees down. It's, it's a, you can tell you're a higher elevation. As I said, it, it's now... Well, it's, it's been cleared by by the storm and a lot of the regrowth is that weird regrowth where you get the, the stunted branches coming off the, the major um, the major trunks. And again, it's that really uh, shaly, gravelly um, mm -hmm. material. I find that you don't see a lot of game in that area. And I think it's simply because it doesn't hold much water because it's a high point. Um, the, wa the water flows downhill and that's where the game is. And so you see the majority of game in that really soft, sandy um, sections of the Pilliga. Um, towards the north, um, there is, uh, it's again, it's not higher, but the, the, uh, the environment changes, the, the, the ground, the soil changes. And so you see more grass, you see a lot more closed in tree areas. So you start to you start to come across little grass paddocks, obviously naturally formed after trees have been clear. But you know you get a bit of cover and you see grass paddocks, and um, so you do get differences in um, features, but it's very subtle. There was there's one area that is a very very nice treed creek line that we did well with goats last time, and it, it's it's 
it's almost unpillager like in its in its mm. appearance. It's it's quite heavily again quite heavily treed. Still a lot of native trees. It's an area they haven't logged of native trees. There's still a very strong creek line runs through it. Lots of shade. Lots of water was sitting on the ground, banked up against, um, you know, in in the banks uh, and, and in little pockets and pools. Really good area to hunt. We got uh, a, a, lucked onto some great game there. Um, and but that was again after the rain, so it, that fundamentally changed the way we had to hunt because the you know the last time was different. Um, we hunted basically around the water sources and we did really well. But this time, because there was so much water still on the ground, the game itself changed. So in talking about that, if it's dry, um, one of the techniques that we developed, that, that we you know developed maybe is, a, is, is overstating, but one of the ways we hunt the pilliga when it's dry is that for whatever reason, we found the pigs, even if the water source is dry, there's obviously groundwater underneath and they can get to it. So they'll they'll still hang around unless it's bone dry, you know, and it's completely, it's a dust bowl. They'll hang around these soaks. So what we found is that obviously as you approach, they hear you and they move off. So what we decided, what we've decided to do or what we've experimented and worked very well for us, and I'm, I'm quite happy to share this, is that we work in teams. One person approaches as you were the normal a track which would be a, along the track or, or contouring the track into the the other person goes wide goes behind and what invariably you'll do is you'll bump a pig and it'll it'll go one way to the other and so mm. either the person who goes wide will get an opportunity for it or the person who's following the track will get an opportunity for it and we've been pretty successful with that you know you go in there you you move the pig on and then it's moving and you're nice and wide and you can both get a good clear view. One's on one side of them, one's on the other side of them, and eventually you'll get a clear view of it. And as I said, we put that to practice in a really dry period and it worked very effectively for us. You know, we, we bumped three or four pigs off, off various water courses over the period of time. When it was really wet, uh, what we did was... Um, we realised that it was so wet and there had been so much water around that looking at a dam was just absolutely, you know, of no concern because the animals didn't literally have to move from where they were to find water. So they don't need to travel to a dam because all of a sudden there's a pool of water at their feet, you know, because um, uh, any creek line still held, held pockets of water. So what we did again was we, um, and as the, you know, as you've been there, as the many creeks crossed the track, Every time we came to one of those little creek crossings, we would simply look at the 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 we would gauge the game activity by the by the prints in the in the sand, which generally was completely you know billiard board clean by the rain, and go go you know this one's very fresh. Um, and uh, if you if you ever hunted goats, you'll notice that billies tend to kick sand in front. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. You know, they, they kind of, I don't know if it's they're lazy or what it is, but they have that, they have the, the it drags forward. The hook, mate, and they have that drag mark. And, yeah. And, and yeah. that drag mark is usually the best way to tell if it's fresh or not. The, you know, the, the, the more moisture in that drag line, 
the softer the sand is, the the fresher it is. Mm. And so that's what we were looking for. We were looking for these for that for, for that activity, especially we're looking for those drag marks. And on one particular instance, we just saw, we just looked at this and went, they must be just here. You know, it was that, it was that obvious. And so we started to walk this creek line and I was walking in the creek bed and my friend was walking up on, on, on one of the banks and we came around a corner and a tree had fallen into the, into the creek or basically the bank had been eroded by the amount of water had gone through and pushed the tree in or fallen in. And all around this fallen tree, which still had green pick, were pig signs. And I literally thought they're going to burst out of here, but they weren't there, but they were so much pig activity, you know. And it was bright sunlight, and I was looking into these dark shadows, almost expecting a little set of eyes to look back at me. We kept on moving along, and we kept on exploring and kept on following the tracks, and eventually we ran into the mob and we, we, we certainly cleaned up the mob that day. And, and I'd gone from no goats to basically that was, that, that was my, that afternoon was my afternoon of a, of a, of a six day hunt. That was it. I, I, I got all the animals. Thing. I got yeah. all the animals. I said, my eskies are full. Unless I see a really, really big Billy, a real, you know, a giant. That's it. I'm done. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, so meat processing then for the next, you know, four or five hours, but that was it. And that was, so when it was wet, we just looked for, look for the, the tracks and were able to kind of go, these tracks are really fresh and, mm -hmm. and follow those tracks. Um, so two, two, two techniques, um, depending wet or dry, but they both produced very, very well. Um, and you know, there's also the the uh, the reality of when you hunt the pilliger, the more you're mobile, the more you're looking, the better chances are you are you are to find something. Um, yeah. Be prepared to hunt long and hunt hunt you know throughout the day, and you will find game. It's um, it's just that it's so big, it might not be right where you are, but you you will locate it. Okay, I've got a couple of questions from sure, that sure. last last uh piece um first one and uh real quick answers because otherwise we probably won't get through them all um what so you've, you've mentioned pigs and goats um any other game that you've found there of, is, expect to well, find that i there couldn't very well now be deer in there um and to to answer that when we were down there in 2017 or 18 i can't think it was right in the grip of the drought um, we were we were speaking to the editor of the local newspaper, um, who was quite interested in what we were doing down there, and actually ran a story on us. Um, he, he said that because the because of the 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 drought was the only thing keeping the the general consensus was the drought was the only thing keeping deer out of the Pilliga, and they were saying as soon as the, rain, the drought broke and the rains came, they expected to see deer. Now I have heard of deer in there, I haven't seen them. And I do believe on the on the on the game report that there has been deer taken, not in the Pilliga itself, but one of the very close neighbouring forests. And I would assume if there is deer in the Pilliga, they're going to be on the east of the Newell Highway, um, because mm -hmm. I believe they'll be coming up from that way. So they right, won't so. In, they won't be coming in from the west. They'll be coming through from the east. So they'll be on the eastern side more than likely on the on the western side. But these conditions keep up 
and especially fallow. Fallow are a remarkable animal. Yeah. I would expect to see uh, deer in there. You will see things like uh, the occasional bunny. You will see things like hare. Um, and you will see foxes. There is obviously signs of wild dog in there. Um, yeah. I haven't seen any, but there are there obvious dogs in there. Though they do bait for those things in the um, the national park. So some of the border roads where you're basically on one side is a fire zone because it's a it's a state forest. The other side is 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 out because it's a national park. You'll you'll often see the little flags for the 1080 baits. Um, other things in there to be aware of that aren't there is there scrub bulls in there. So there is wild cattle in there, and there is also wild horses in there as well. Hmm. And I've seen both wild horses. Anything else? That's a fair um, amount of games they've put on a list. Yeah, so, um, and of course, you know, uh, you you will see the, a lot of the game bird life in there. So, you know, you occasionally see the, the quail and the things like that, but they, there is, you know, they're not necessarily on the um, on the the, uh, the game list for the pillager, but there is there is certainly animal, that, you know, bird life in there. Um, the interesting thing about the pillager is that, there's also a lot of myth associated with the pillager. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah. Okay. We'll get to that. Um, and one and one of the things that so just on the deer subject on our trip in there, um, it was when back when uh, deer was still a game species in New South Wales and they had a season and we showed up in the pillager not expecting to see deer and we were one week outside the season and I had two new members of my branch walk straight into a deer in the central part of the pillager, not that far from the boar, um, they took a photo of it. And what was amazing about it was, firstly, it was a red deer all day. And secondly, it was pure white. Oh, wow. If you want to start talking about myths, we won't get there yet either. But just throw that in the middle of that. Wow. So we brought that picture back to our... Our, our, our experts, so the people within the branch that, you know, it was basically looked like a silhouette and you could put this, the picture of the deer, it was a good photo, to put the picture of the deer up and you put that up against the cards that they use to, to choose which species it is. And it was a red deer all day. Mm-hmm. And until we told them it was white, oh, no, it's definitely a fellow. It's definitely a fellow. There's no way it can be a red because apparently there's only been three white red deer ever sighted in globally in history. Okay. Right. So there's a very good chance that it wasn't a red deer. But I tell you, as a silhouette picture and the size of the animal, the size you can only gauge off what the fellas that took the photo told us because, you know, in amongst trees, there's not a lot of perspective about size. But they swear black and blue, it was the size of a red and it certainly looked like one. So that was really interesting um, to see. (laughs) Um, I'll show you the photo at some point. What is, uh, you know, to be honest, what you find in there, it doesn't, I mean, I, I, I've never seen a deer, I've heard the deer in there, and then I, I don't dis, dis, discredit that at all because it's so big, you know. It is yeah, so big. There, there, it's, not, it's, it's not unlikely at all. In fact, it's so big that they carved off 10,000 acres to create a bilby sanctuary up the top. And you right? wouldn't even know that they carved it off. Oh. So you know it is that big. So yeah, uh, oh, you know it could be there could be there could have been a farm around there who had deer, possibly, and that was our theory. 
that, that, that it was something that had got off a farm. Um, but anyway, so that's that. I mean, and there's there's uh, lots of options, I guess, to find in there. Um, my other question was going to be, um, uh, what is the most game you've taken in a trip as as your group? And tell us about the largest trophy-style animal that you might have taken out of there. Sure. Look, um, personally, I think the best we ever did was 27 goat in a in a in a trip um uh the trip from the last trip we did uh it ended up being um in terms of numbers it ended up being a goat a day for everyone mm. for the for the five days we were there uh didn't didn't work out that way you know that that was the ratio it didn't work out that way but that's what it was um Taking 10 to 15 animals over a four or five day is not unheard of. It's actually, you know, it's not that, it's not, it's, it's, it's quite common. Um, it took us a long time to take a pig out of the pillager. Long time. Right. And if we're going to about talk about the trophies, the first pig, and that was my good friend Simon, who was the first guy ever to take a pig out of the pillager amongst us. It's about that big. Yeah. Tasty. And we literally came, we'd crossed over the highway, so we'd been hunting the far east, and we'd come across, and we came to a T-junction. It was kind of, it was late afternoon, and we still had about a half an hour, an hour to get to camp, and we pulled up this T-junction, and I re remember I was looking at the map, and there was commotion in the in the passenger seat, and I was, didn't really take much notice of him, and I was kind of looking at the map, and then, you know, crack! I heard the shot and I just looked out straight out through the from from you know from the from the the, the driver's seat and I was just going, what is he shooting at? What is he shooting at? And I and then I saw him running and I thought, oh, he's running down the track. So I expected to see like a mob of goats on the track, and then he turned off the track and went to this little puddle on the side of the on a side of the track, and. He picked up this tiny little pig <laughs> that was literally came out of the scrub and was drinking there, you know, like 30 feet from our car. And that was the first pig we had. So we actually had a – that was quite a quite a, quite a a thing, you know. It was, a, it was the myth, mythical pig. Um, in terms of trophy, um, by far the two biggest goats I've ever shot have come out of the pillager. I shot a uh, 32 – um, out of the pillager, and um, I was pretty stoked by that. And then a couple of years later, I took a 36-inch goat out of the pillager. And I, you know, the, with goats, the old rule was 36 was the start of the trophy. Of course, now guys, you know, taking 40s and 50s. But I felt from a, a public land goat. Oh, 36. Yeah, public which, land representative head. That's that's outstanding. Was was a ripper, and in fact. In fact, let's see. Mm. That's a uh, that's a pillager Billy. Some character on that, isn't it? He's a great. He's fantastic. He's a fantastic animal. And that yeah, so that's a pillager Billy. So yeah, um, that was a um. 
He's 36. Nice. Um, right. And the interesting thing about him being 36 was uh, of all the things I took, I didn't take a tape. And we just went, <laughs> how big is he? And I kind of, like, I was, you know, I was measuring him against the rifle and went, oh, you know, he's pretty big. But, yeah, so it wasn't until we got him home and he, and he, and he dried for a couple. He was still over 36, so he might have been a, a touch bigger when he was when he was wet, but he's uh, dry, he's 36, so, and that's that's trophy enough for me. Um, for sure. That's, that's outstanding. So that's it. And, you know, there's uh, there's other things like uh, helping um, a friend get his first pig there. Uh, last trip took away a, a guy, um, Jonathan, he came with us first time. One of our, one of our regular guys couldn't make it, um, helping him get his first goats. Um, at the Pilliga was pretty exciting. He did pretty well. He got a nice, nice um, billy on the last day. Saw a billy um, that was bigger, I reckon, but he got away from me. But you know they're there. Um, mm. And these are pure. There is these are well, they're wild animals. They're all wild animals, but there is no. These are purely wild animals. So you know there's no no potential that they, they they've got to deal with all the things that a wild animal deals with. So getting a goat that big. Is um is is he, that was an old animal had lived a, a fairly uh, you know productive and exciting life so it was good to take him mm, so that's probably my, my trophies out of the pillager. When you were talking earlier about your strategy of hunting the water the soaks mm. where you'd sort of split a little bit, the thing that came to mind uh, then was what arms are you carrying. But okay. if you were if you were going if you and, and the obvious answer is whatever you own, but if you were going to have your pick of um, of the weapon, and you know this is not the ridiculous top end purdies of of the world. Well, this why is, not? Um, you know, if you were going to go with the, the you know just choose the caliber, not the make, um, and the optics. Uh, what should you what what would you select for this type of hunting? It, it's a, it's you know it's one of those questions where you get into. A great deal of personal choice and obviously what works in the past you know flavors the way you want to you know the your choice for me um i found to hunt state forest across a range of state forest i want to carry a 30 cal so i want to be in the i wanted to start with a three and to me, that's for me personally, that's either 308 or 3006. So that's me personally. Um, uh, in terms of optics, um, most shots are going to be within, with, un, uh, within or under 100 meters. Okay. Most shots are going to be within scrub. So it's not going to be like a nice clear view. So it's an animal. Either if you if you you know if you if you if you've lucked on it, it's still and it's stable and it doesn't know you're there, and so it's browsing, it's moving, but it's not moving with any intent. It's browsing, you know, unless of course you're lucky enough to see a pig in a wallow, but it's going to be browsing. So there's going to be some movement, but you're going to have the opportunity to take a shot, but it may be moving through some incredibly heavy cover, mm. so your your sight window is quite small. So I want good optics at low power, and I want significant punching power. I want deep sights, red dots. Uh, if I could, if I was a younger man with better eyesight, I would love a peep sight. <laughs> uh, 
or a red dot. Um, but um, you know, I'm I'm not young and my eyesight's not great. So low low power optics, you know, two to three to four power is is in fact two to three is probably where I spend most of the most of the optic range on those those very expensive scopes don't move much past between two and three power. And the reason I like that is I um and it's it's a it's one of those tips that you learn and it's a hard one to learn is that when you're hunting a state forest you know or when you're hunting hard and you're looking for game and you see game you tend to get this massive tunnel vision you just see that game and being able to actually kind of pull back a little bit and say okay what's around here um uh, is really good and having a, a a good eye relief optic allows you also when you when you make that first shot don't be surprised if something else doesn't bust cover and being able to pick that up and make that second shot is important so and for me personally i always prefer a box mag than an internal mag um i just feel more comfortable with a box mag because i i hunt personally with an empty chamber so I don't hunt with safety on. There, there is no, there's no chamber around when I hunt. So the first thing I do when I see game is I have to get into position to cycle, cycle the action. And I've done that, and people say, you know, that slows you down, stops your opportunity. I know when I'm hunting with with friends, we don't have load, loaded firearms, and it just, it's just another thing that I don't need to worry about. But it means, of course, when I then take my my game, I've got to, I've got to cycle the action. So there's always that component to it. Um, so, but then again, I also think if 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 you're hunting in such a way that that cycling of the action is is critically important for you to hit game or not game, work on your stalking. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Work on your stalking. Work on your approach. Work in your observations. Work on you know getting in a better position earlier rather than having to make that rush shot. I think a lot of that comes with with with, with time and patience. Um, you know, when you start this game, everything that's in front of you is exciting. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's exciting even when you're, you know, when you've been doing it for years, but that ability to pull back and watch, you know, because knowing you could have taken that shot uh, once you've taken a lot of animals is, is just as um successful in my mind is, is taking it anyway um, leaving that and having a look and i find this with deer all the time um you know if, if you if you dead set need to shoot the first deer to be you know to make the trip a success and i've been in those situations i was in one of those situations recently i focused completely on that deer. the other guys around me could see its buddies i couldn't see those buddies mm -hmm. um but at other times you know i've, I've potentially taken one for the trip or I've got a full freezer and I'm mentoring rather than shooting um my eyes are wide open you can see all of that stuff but that's that's maturity in in your hunting I think yeah and look I, I readily admit when I go on I'll go away on a on a state forest hunt like that you know we've gone through you know multiple days I like to get something early and then I find that once I've done that you know and I've kind of answered that, okay we've got meat we've got that then the whole game changes and i know that for instance um one year we did a so from from for a, for um for my 50th birthday Ooh. we did a 10-day road trip hunt okay and i wanted to get uh, a deer goat and pig 
on that ten days, and I did. I got and and, nice. and well like you know, like like that, like those all those hunting shows. The the goat was like the last day, last bit of light type thing. The came, easy one, right? It came the down to the wire. Um, we we did that, but um, you know, that was a trip for ten days. That was hunting all the way up to that because that's the personal milestone I set for myself. But a couple of years before we were in the Pilliga, and it was one of those hunts where we were just always on game. And I remember, um, I remember about, uh, I think it might the second last day we were there. I just kind of went, "Yep, that's enough. I- I'm done. Um, I don't need to. I don't need to hunt anymore." And uh, and so and and it, and in a way, you know, it was uh, it was it was it was it wasn't any kind of regret or anything. I just went, "Yep, I've had my fill of hunting. I'm just gonna." And I and I didn't put the rifle away, but you know, the camera uh, camera is my hand for the next two days. Always had the rifle handy just in case you know something fantastic came along and you wanted you know something like that. But I, I went to the camera and it was it was it was it was a different approach. Yeah. The other thing that we do the in the way that we hunt with pairs, you actually have an agreement between the two. Is that one guy will kind of be the guide and one guy will be kind of be the the hunter for that morning or afternoon sure. or even for that day. Yeah. And I tell you something, there is there's a great joy in doing that too, to actually kind of go, you know, mate, I'm gonna get you game today, you know. And so, you know, it it's it's pressure, but it's a different kind of pressure. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Yeah, and, and I find that really enjoyable actually. And again, as I said on the last trip on down when we took someone who'd never hunted there before, or I he may have been there once before, but never hunted with us before, you know, I, I kind of went, mate. I'm going to get you game. And I remember when the day I got him his first goat, we were driving along and, it, it, you know, it was, it was tough. The first few days were tough because it was wet and it was tough. We were traveling a lot of Ks and not seeing any game. And I remember we came across this rock escarpment and I said, did I ever tell you how much goats love rocks? And he said, no. And I said, well, let's go on here. And sure enough, they were in there and um, he got his first goat. And it was a nice billy too. It was a nice billy. That's it. So that was it. So that that's actually, I, I think that's just as um, just as rewarding as actually getting your own. Sometimes, I agree, hundred percent. The mentoring thing's important. Keeps the sport alive. Gets people involved. Mm. Teaching somebody else what to do. Hopefully, they'll teach someone what to do. Keeps us um, doing what we do, which is excellent. Hey, um, one of the other things I wanted to ask. Uh, we spoke quite a bit about the boar as a campsite. Is that your favourite campsite? Um, where else would you point people to that were considering going in? Because that might have people is, in it when you arrive. Now, the, what I would suggest, if um, because, again, because of distance, the bore is really good because it gives you a nice jump-off point for the northern and most of the eastern block and also what's behind it towards the west. Um, so if, if you if you look at the the the, the forestry map of the Pilliga, the boar gives you a good jump off point for a lot of places. However, if you're thinking of hunting down the southern block and also possibly including Pilliga West in that, then I've found the um, that mill site to be really good because again it's just closer. Yeah. So you hunt different parts of different parts of the of the forest. Um, and it's just taking into consideration the distance you have to travel, and so where you want to, where you want to camp. 
Um, but the bore, it gives you a, a really good, you know, northern eastern type of section. The mill gives you a good southern and also into Pilligal West, um, you know, section of the forest. I mean, you, you certainly can drive wherever you want, but that's what I found. I've never camped on the far eastern side, so the eastern side of the um, um, the, the Newell Highway, though there is some very big water over there, big dams. Um, there is actually also a couple of campsites there um, with dams. Um, the the campsites over there that we've found, they've often looked like they've been inhabited by people who have been camping there for, for a significant period of time, so we tended to stay away from them. Um, but, uh, yeah, over the, the bore is a pretty good place to go. And, again, it's if you're if you're thinking of going there for the first time, it's really easy to navigate to the bore, so it's a good place to start. Yep. It's on the main road. It's on the main yep. road. It's a great place to jump off. All right. So let's round this off. Um, the last interesting topic um, will be the mystery that sits around the Pilliga mm. uh, and your take on that mystery. I've heard loads of stories. Uh, we've seen some interesting stuff. So tell us a bit about your take on um, the mystery that surrounds it and the stories that are there. And then uh, maybe finish that off with um, what is the most interesting thing you've seen, found, heard on your travels in there um, that sort of is, is kept a bit of mystery in and around the Pilliga? Well, the thing about the Pilliga is people have been in there for a significant period of time. And I, and I mean, not, not um, both, you know, post-European settlement and beforehand. So there's a great deal of history. Um, there is Aboriginal cave, pave, uh, cave paintings in certain areas of the Pilliga. Um, there is the salt caves where people would actually go to mine salt. You know, there's actually, and I don't, I don't mean like professional miners, people who lived in the area would travel down there to get their salt from the salt caves. So there's always been people in there. So you know, there's there's lots of um, there's lots of uh, myth. Now, the 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 big myths or the most common one is the Pilliga princess, which is a, an ethereal ghost-like creature that inhabits the Pilliga. I don't know why the princess is there um, exactly or who the princess is, but there is a ghost story about the Pilliga princess. Um, the Yowie is known to inhabit the Pilliga. And for those who don't know, the Yowie is he's the Australian Bigfoot or the, um, you know, the, the abominable snowman, Sasquatch, all that thing. That's Yowie. He inhabits the Pilliga, or he and she, I suppose. Um, more, more, uh, not so much myth, but more interest is that uh, Jimmy Governor, who was actually um, uh, Australia's earliest, uh, well, probably um, uh, mass murderer, hit out in the Pilliga. Um, the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, which is a movie, is actually about Jimmy Governor. He, he hit out in the Pilliga and um, he hit out along Bohemia Creek. A number of pretty um, uh, dodgy uh, people in settlement area have hidden out in the Pilliga of, um, from various times. Uh, cattle duffing and horse thieving were, you know, pretty common and, and the Pilliga was a good place to hide out. Uh, the Min Min lights are associated with the Pilliga, which is, you know, the uh, a lights that appear out of nowhere and do all sorts of weird UFO things at night. Um, mm -hmm. Do the Pilliga. 
However, in real terms, also the area is is world renowned for its um, nighttime sky. So that's when you drive down the highway, you see those, you know, the, the there's a, there's all those astrological signs like, you know, here's a great place to see Saturn and Neptune and Mars. Um, that's why at Coonabarabran there's a um, a fairly significant radio telescope. It's also world renowned for birds. There's um there's actually a a, a world renowned bird tour track that runs through both Pilliga East and Pilliga West um, to look for birds. So there's there's that kind of stuff in there. Um, and of course there's more recent things. You know there I think there's actually a movie called Something in the Pilliga. I think yeah. there's a Australian horror movie about that. It's called something you know about rednecks living in the Pilliga and you know doing bad things to sell. Look, I've never really ever, and I've and to be honest, I've heard people um, who have who who've told me that they've hunted in there, have had experiences like that. I always find it a bit strange that you know I'm in camp with three other guys and we're all armed. You know that someone would go, oh, I think I'll go bother these guys. You know, There's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's four well, guys in camp. There's four guys in camp, all with, with with you know thirty cal rifles. Let's go bother these guys. You know, yeah, you would actually think that you would be the least least likely to be bothered by anyone in there. But mm. I've never I've never heard it. I've been, been been told plenty of times people have been you know have had strange run-ins. I've never seen it. I've never seen or heard anything like that myself. I actually find it quite. Um, I quite like the fact that when I go there, we don't run into any other people. We don't see any other people. I think that's great. To me, that's a great, um, a, a great attractor to it. That it, it is a, it's still a, a fairly remote place, so close to um, civilization. Um, in terms of the strangest thing, I wouldn't call it strange, but it was something that stumped me for a while. Was that um, we would find these small trenches, not particularly deep. Um, dug in the ground, they may be two, three foot deep and only, say, 200 mils wide and maybe, uh, uh, you know, a, a metre long. And they would be covered with boards. And we, you know, it, we would go, what are these things for? Um, you know, were they, were they uh, you know, a, 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 an abutment for for something that was in the ground once and that thing's gone and this is all that's left. It was, you know, like a post hole or something like that. Weird things like that. What we found out is they were um, dug by beekeepers. Oh. And what they used to do is dig these quite shallow, narrow, but deeper trenches and they would put boards on top um, and the bees were able to go through the boards but nothing else was bigger to, and they eventually fill, they pour water and they would also fill with rainwater. So they were able to provide water for bees, but a fox, nothing else could drink that water. So it was like creating these little water catchments for bees because um, the Pilliga is also known for, um, for, for bees because there's a great deal of, you know, um, flowers and, 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 plants that uh, that the bees are attracted to so there's a you do see in the pilica a lot of um you know beekeeping sites you'll see you, know, really, hive, you see you'll that see in a lot hive, of state forests you see the hives and stuff and know the pilica is quite well known for it and that's what these things are it took us a while to figure those things out but yeah they're for um so in terms of all the scary stuff i've never ever encountered the scary stuff but then again 
I've, unfortunately, I've never ever encountered the scary stuff. And every place I've been to that's had a legend about something scary. It's, I, they always seem to be not there when I'm there. I, you know, I wouldn't uh, mind actually having having the having the chat about it once. That the, the probably the scariest thing I ever seen uh, I have ever seen in the Pilliga was once when we were hunting, and I, I realized something was looking at us. And what it was was a scrub bull. It was just looking yep. at us through the scrub. That, that can oh, be quite frightening. Holy yep. moly! I hope this thing doesn't come out at us. <laughs> Well, I, I didn't say this in, in the Severn discussion, but I was in Severn State Forest uh, and I was in a phase of my hunting where I like to hammock hunt, you know, and I just I just sling a hammock and what have you. Yeah. Um, Severn's not really big enough for you to be backpacking around and doing that, but I slung my hammock and it would have been two or three o'clock in the morning that I got nudged awake by a cow. And if you can imagine a big fella in a hammock, nudged awake by a cow, absolutely <laughs> shitting himself, there's a cartoon that you can probably think of of a hammock going around around circles and arms and legs everywhere. That was me. I fair packed myself. That oh, night. Well, yeah. And I got up and it was two or three cows' eyes just staring at me. I was I'd obviously put the hammock in their walking path. Man, wow. um, that yeah. just got through the farmer's fence. To put some perspective on the Pilliger Princess. So, um, I, I thought I thought you knew the story, but. There are a lot of truckies that will not stop on that part of the Newell Highway. So, so it's it such a legend. So the Pilliga Princess was supposedly uh, an Aboriginal woman that used to be seen travelling that piece of highway. Um, she was um, travelling between, I think it was Narrabri and Coonabarabran um, as, a, as a bit of land. Um, and funnily enough, they thought that she was probably the only Aboriginal person um, to be seen in that area for quite some time in history because Aboriginals believed that the Pilliga was an evil land where bad spirits lived, right? So she was travelling that piece of highway because her son had gone missing and she was walking up and down the highway looking for her son and one night um, she got nailed by a truck that ah. didn't see her. And the, the the thing that freaks the truckies out was they used to see this woman uh, uh, walking up and down looking for her son and after she died, they still saw her walking up and down looking for her son. And at night time, when the truckies were pulled over asleep, she'd knock on their door of the truck and ask yeah. if they had seen her son. And that's what freaks all of these truckies mm. out uh, in there. So that's the story of the Pilliga Princess. I'm not yeah. sure if that's the, the, the only story where there's variants of it, but that's certainly the one I know yeah. of. Said I, I didn't know the princess also very much, but look, I've I've driven that road both day and night, and um, actually I, I we drove it at night with my family not so long ago, but yeah, look, it, it it's a funny area in that it does have a um there is that legend and that that kind of uh, that 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 you know ghost story associated with it. Um, it's very, it's really interesting, you know. It's, it's, just, and it's just a chunk of land that's always had that for some, you know, there's, since you know, since uh, settlement times, that's there's always been some kind of story attached to that place. And yeah. I, I have heard that, you know, I have heard that truckies won't, you know, there's, you know, truckies say they won't stop along there or something like that. Um, certainly, the road between Kinabarabran and, and Narrabri is a great ride. I, I, I wouldn't bother stopping around. I'd get to Kinabarabran. It's actually a really good road. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. Yeah. Well, I think hopefully that gives everyone a bit of an idea of um, of uh, what the Pilig is like. It's huge. There's lots of opportunity. Um, get in and around and explore it. Uh, yeah. If you've got your choice of weapon, take a 
a, a, a dot three something uh, and put a and put a really low magnification scope on it. Um, be careful of your water. Um, get some really good um, communications within your group so you know how to find each other if something does go pear shaped. It is big. It could get nasty, um, and it can get very very hot. Right, so just take it easy um, when you head into places like that. Um, but other than that, Mark, unless you've got anything else, I think that's uh, that's a good wrap of the pillar. One more little quick story. Um, yeah. And it's a it's a it's a funny one. We were driving down. So sometimes when you're hunting, it's actually better to drive out to the highway and scoot down the highway and then turn back into the forest, then try to cross coast country, uh, cross 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 country. It's it's just faster. Yeah. Um, so and that was one of those days we said, hey, let's get down the bottom block for the afternoon and see what if any movement along on along those that area down the bottom. So that's what we did. We we steamed out along Pilliga Forest Way, hit the highway, then belt, uh, then turned south and headed down the 110k down to the bottom end of the forest. And on the way down, uh, Darcy was uh, I was with Darcy and we looked over into the Pilliga itself and we saw one of the old Game Council signs um, when it was Game Council and you know declared hunting zone. It was up in a tree at about 30, 40 feet up in a tree. You know, someone obviously got a ladder and nailed it up on a tree. And we looked at it, and then directly below that sign was a mob of goats. <laughs> I went, that's not bad right, sign. Right? That's not bad <laughs> sign. <laughs> oh, very good. Now, well, hopefully we get um, a few more signs like that uh, as we track around the place looking at parks. Okay, well, look, that's probably it for me. I, I can't think of anything else. But as we say, if there is any questions that you have or you want some further information, by all means, please reach out and, and talk to us. I'm more than happy to talk to people about hunting the, mm. the Pilliga and any other forest, but certainly it's a pretty special place for me and I, I do have a, a fond attachment for it and, I, and I'm happy to share that with other hunters. So if you've got questions you got comments or, uh, you know, there's something specific you want to know, by all means, reach out and I'll certainly try and help.